0: Connectal's conversation on culture of innovation. My name is Greg Udelman, I'll be hosting and facilitating today's conversation. And uh, in a moment, you'll meet our four guests. We have another guest who's having technical problems. We're not sure if we'll, we'll meet Arena, but um, so today we're going to talk about what, what is uh, h- how does innovation uh, fit into the cultural context of an organization, and what kind of things enable or disable innovation? How have some of our panelists engaged with that challenge uh, through various projects and in, in over the course of their careers in, in various contexts? And we're going to get into the conversation about, you know, what what are we seeing when innovation is not enabled, when that culture is not enabled? What are the risks of that? And then we're going to talk um share some sort of practical stories and tools and approaches about how to develop this kind of culture and so just to introduce myself greg udelman with the moment here in toronto we're an innovation consultancy uh i'm an innovation designer and a co-founder of, of this this firm and we run we build innovation practices within all kinds of organizations from banking to healthcare to government um, etc so maybe i'll pass it on to tatiana if you can Introduce yourself and your your context, um, and what is one thing you've learned about a culture of innovation?
1: Hi, I'm Tatiana Mamoud. I am coming to you from rainy San Francisco. I'm a tech innovator and anthropologist in Silicon Valley. I founded and co-led IDEO's organizational design practice from around 2010 to 2014 at which time I joined Salesforce uh, to help Salesforce become a design-led company. I led the Lightning redesign, as well as the product experience for the new IoT Cloud. Launched IoT Cloud, then went over AWS uh, to build a brand new software product for AWS. And I've just left last week um, in order to start a new venture to help organizations understand how to manage culture And especially how to manage culture risk in this environment and this moment, especially when technology companies really are facing um, a lot of issues that have been developed by not, uh, by kind of falling asleep at the wheel in terms of designing culture in the same way that they design products. So one of the things that I've really learned and kind of riffing off of that is that technology is the easiest part of the innovation piece. It's the human part that's really hard, right? It's the under figuring out how to drive and how to figure out the value of what you're building through a human lens, both in terms of the customers, but also in terms of the teams that you're putting together, how you're organizing the teams, how you're putting together mechanisms for those teams to interact and, and how they actually build uh, products and how they are those people are incentivized. So the technology is relatively easy and it's kind of relatively a commodity today. And it's the people part that remains really hard.
0: Excellent. Thanks for the introduction, Tatiana. Dan.
1: Thanks, Greg. Um,
2: I'm Dan Hoffman. I'm an entrepreneur. I've had uh, a part in building three companies. One was an early internet company that uh, had a reasonable outcome. The second was a total failure. And the third was a success. I built a cloud-based telephone system. It took 12 years and we sold it to a public company. Um, And now I'm working on my fourth, it's called Circles. And we're really focused on using video to create structured conversations that go really deep in small teams. I'd say in my life, the most recurring lesson about innovation uh, is that it's been cross-pollination. I've found that I've oh, all of the innovations that have ever worked for me or I've uh, seen uh, work for teams wasn't some complicated invent out of thin air. Uh, it was when I took an idea from one domain and brought it to another. I think the guy with the top number of patents at 3M said all he did was walk around from one department to another. And so for me, it's been uh, mixing phone systems with the cloud, mixing my CEO forums with Uh, learning models uh, with video things like this that are just uh, mixing it up and so I think Tatiana's point about getting the human dynamic right where people can mix and match and be diverse and have uh, multiple ideas smashing into each other is really the essence.
3: (coughs) Thank You Dan. Martin. Hi I'm um, Martin uh, Van Tilburg and I am CEO and founder at uh, a company called Ten Thousand Feet, and that's here in Seattle. Um, first and foremost, I'm a I'm a designer. I am uh, I studied industrial design, and in I spent uh, 10 years at Microsoft as a design manager, and then several years as a design consultant at um, at uh, a company here in Seattle called Artifact. And, um, and we started 10,000 feet about uh, six years ago. And I think this is a great kind of like opportunity for me personally, because what I am able to do at 10,000 feet is on one side, um, manage and drive a very design driven organization. Like so we get to experiment with kind of like what, what we find important as a culture of innovation uh, at a relatively you know, small company of like 25 people. And then in addition, we, we make software that help our customers uh, facilitate creativity uh, on two fronts. So one product is called 10,000 feet plans, and that helps teams that work on projects kind like of manage the operational and business side of that. So you need to know who works on what, what are the budgets, what are the timeframes, like when a new project comes in, when is a team available to work on that? so that's more the, the metadata of creative projects and then we have another product called Ten Thousand feet insights and that's more the uh, sausage making of innovation like creative projects have a lot of artifacts there are no great tools to store those artifacts so artifacts are as like problem statements ideas concepts and um, so insights in a way is pinterest for those artifacts um and then at, in terms of a lesson, like I mean, of, of course, I've, I've learned a lot of things. But I mean, we start with a very practical one that we found that sounds almost kind of like too obvious, but it's that when you structure work in projects, then creativity happens. Most people's work is is uh, very like day-to-day tasks, and it's the same every day. But at the moment you kind of like rethink that and structure your problems that you're trying to solve in, in projects now you have a set of constraints and that's when kind of like innovation happens so that's kind of like one one practical thing it's great thank you martin and uh
4: dennis yes hello to everyone uh, my name is dennis bocker currently in warsaw in poland uh, but normally situated in um Chicago um, for Bosch. Um, they are responsible as a global IT innovation lead for the innovation um, for the IT innovation at Bosch. And um, I think our journey with that topic started a few years back, um, as we saw that the role for the IT organization within Bosch needs to change. Um, as we saw that there's more and more um, connectivity in the centerpiece of all our products, and uh, we. Saw that um, IT needs to position itself more as an enabler um, and what we figured on that journey as well was that um, the innovation culture is an important piece to really get more opportunity thinkers in, into our organization, um, problem solvers into our organization and we saw that Um, Innovation culture is kind of one of those drivers and we identified a few characteristics that we need to establish in our organization a little more um, to really enable that um, innovation culture, which would help us to um, be closer to to the real problems, customer problems that we need to solve. So we were really acting on that and uh, exploring different ways of how we can actually build that mindset, that culture. In an organization like Bosch, um, where we have meanwhile 400,000 associates. So it's kind of a big, uh, you, you need to kind of get to a big movement if you really want to establish something there. And the biggest learning, I think, for us um, just mentioned the big organization. So as we want to tap into the external ecosystem, um, you see a big cultural gap between, for instance, startups and our corporation. And uh, to work um, with that cultural gap um, is one of the important things um, that we really try to do with different measures over the last few years. Um, Working together with incubators, working with accelerator programs, um, as well as opening our own um, co creation space to work together with those companies and groups um, to really get a better grip um, on how those different cultures can actually work together um, and can probably approach each other a little bit easier.
0: Excellent, thank you for the introductions, folks. Now, before getting into some of the, the, the content and, and some of your experiences around bringing, the, bringing culture to life, let's just get some definitions in place. So when we talk about culture, uh, what do we mean by that, Tatiana?
1: Sure. So, um, as an anthropologist, uh, my background is in practice theory, which I'll give you a kind of an, the academic answer, um, which, uh, it, which comes from practice theory. It's the space of positions and position takings within a cultural field. And to unpack this is if you think about the organization as a social field, right, or as a cultural field, very tangibly, it is, um, the, the, uh, the space in which things are made possible, right? In terms of human action, right? So you define the principles by which that space is configured. You define the mechanisms by which people can interact within that social space. And then you actually monitor the behaviors, right? That are coming forth, right? So that sort of, if you think about culture, it's that alignment of the values or the principles of the organization The mechanisms are the very tangible systems and tools that create a self-reinforcing loop of how that organization, you know, is, um, is configured. And then it's the actual human behaviors within that social field. Um, And those things should create a self-reinforcing mechanisms by which people understand what they can be doing, what they should be doing. And that then creates sort of the things that we think about in terms of shared values and shared norms.
0: Great. Does anyone else want to add to that definition of how we understand culture, what the components of it might be?
2: I'll I'll chime in. When, when I was building a culture CEO, I I found it really difficult to have something to act on. Uh, What what do you touch? What do you change? What levers do you pull? Uh, You can walk into an office and smell the culture, but it's hard to describe it and, and, and act on it. And the thing that, uh, really helped me was was zooming in on values to me are the the cultures really not always explicitly stated but but values like if you go to take a decision and you list all the alternatives and you weight them by what are your what are your values like mathematically is it more important we take care of our customers or our people what score do i give Um, and uh, that produces all the practices all the external stuff that, that manifests in culture. But I, I, always, I found that if I was working on values, which ones are we reinforcing? Which ones are we rewarding? Which ones are we talking about? That that was the way as a CEO that I found I could act on, on a culture.
3: I mean, I, I agree on the values. And I think, especially for innovation, you could probably argue that there are certain values that are better towards innovation than other ones, such as, People being, having an open mind and being curious and um, being able to deal with ambiguity. So, those are kind of like some of the values that, that we look for in people to add to the team in order so we can actually try to come up with new ideas
4: yeah and uh chiming in from a probably a a corporate perspective adding to the values we have as well established um some some core elements that we see and adding to what we heard for us was important that for instance we have that trust in the leadership so that there is really a, a culture of trust because that enables actually ideas and ideas the idea development as well as seeing failure and the learning out of failure as valuable um, to the or, uh, in the organization, because that's especially in um, in bigger companies not not always the case. Um, and as well to have a sharing culture and kind of a giving first culture is for us as well something that we see valuable um, into our in our organization, um, as this contributes a lot to enable ideas to grow and and to get. Um, forward you know, that these are some of the elements um, that, that we have developed um, and that we try to work on this different methods um, and environments to really enable this and and get this mindset um, developed I think uh, I think one of
0: the challenges is, as you guys have all sort of described these attributes of culture, whether it's values or it's behaviors or systems, etc. Is that they're intangible? You know, there's no specific um, artifact. There's no uh, specific way. Of, you know, obviously there's there's emerging methods here. But what I'm curious about is how do we make this intangible tangible? And how do we create mechanisms, if if at all, mm-hmm. for helping us to see culture and see what's working and see what's not? Anyone can can jump in try to field that one.
1: So, in, again, so the framework of principles, mechanisms, and behaviors um, actually does make culture tangible, right? And it makes it visible to people. So the whole idea is to not have culture be talked about this nebulous, abstract thing, but to actually get your framework around what are the anchors of building a culture and managing it. And so, as you said, on the mechanisms piece, um, you know, in the last question, I think we moved quickly from the question of what is culture to what is a to what is a culture of innovation. And with that, I do have to say that many different companies have many different styles of having a culture of innovation. Apple has a very autocratic, or a- Apple under Steve Jobs had a very autocratic, you know, non-collaborative, fairly secretive style of innovation that worked. Google has a, you know, especially early Google had a very collaborative, open Um, you know, sharing first kind of principles, you know, culture that worked. Amazon has a very, you know, two pizza team, you know, very data first, you know, very data driven culture of innovation. So the idea is that there is no one flavor of innovation. If you want to become an innovative company, it does not necessarily mean that you need to be more collaborative. It does not necessarily mean that you need to share more. It does not necessarily, you have to figure out what your what the right style of innovation is for your company. And then you have to, again, make that culture very tangible. You have to do an audit of what are your principles, not just the value statements that are written down in a presentation somewhere or in a plaque in the lobby, but what are really the principles that are guiding the way that incentives are structured? What are so the t- principles t- that are when, when you're, how people interact? I
0: was just going to say, just to interrupt, sorry to interrupt. When, when you're doing this audit, what are you auditing? What are you tracking and how is that done?
1: So this is what I'm talking, so you're auditing the incentives of people, right? So how are, are people incentivized for the short-term results? Or are they, you know, you might have a principle or a value of long-term innovation, but your managers and your executives might be entirely incentivized for short-term quarterly results. The, you know, what's gonna win? The principle or the value? or the incentive structure, the mechanism. The mechanism is going to win. Those two things are not aligned. That's what you're auditing. You're auditing all of these things all the way down the road. The other thing is, if somebody has a new idea, this is where the position takings thing comes in. If somebody, if an employee has a great new idea, is there a mechanism for any employee anywhere you know, to take that idea and actually get it funded? right so people talk about open-mindedness and they talk about lack of hierarchy and all these kinds of things but when the rubber hits the road is there a mechanism for you know a level one engineer who has a great idea to actually bring that idea to the people making funding and capital expenditure decisions those are the types of things that you're auditing you're auditing here are principles and here are the mechanisms that are or are not aligned with our principles. And then you're also auditing the behaviors, of people, right? How are people actually behaving in the organization? And that's where you sort of come in and say, okay, this is how we are aligned or this is how we're not aligned. And these are the risks that we're facing, right? Both in the market and in our internal organization by having these misalignments.
2: That can get really personal too. I find auditing your calendar is a interesting way to see whether you're investing time according to your values. If you, if the leader gives a half an hour speech, how many minutes are dedicated to rewarding, you know, risks that failed or cust- serving the customer or doing something last minute? You know, if the there's a budget for bonus pool, how many of the dollars are going to certain behavior? Like you can get very concrete and personal when you think about whether the share of time and money is going to to line up those the values with those mechanics
0: martin
3: um I, I think process is to me kind of like the main kind of like enforcing function that's kind of like create certain behavior and um and agreement on that process for the entire team. I mean, for our, in our situation, like our, our team is smaller. So I, I I agree that for large companies, the situations might be slightly different. Um, and there's a lot of like bureaucratic things, but uh, The collaboration kind of like across a small team is kind of like essential and, and I think um, I think a flat structure works a lot uh, better there and in order to have everyone come kind of like work on the same way a a process is, is kind of like essential to uh, To make sure that solutions are considered uh, that might uh, be innovative.
0: So Martin um, and, and Dennis will go to you in a moment, Martin, you mentioned process and structure. Can you give a more sort of tangible specific description of maybe how your team would work that would enable through how the process and structures are actually happening.
3: Sure I mean I think one thing is that we try to change the process if we see it doesn't work and keep on like working around it, but like so one process that we're currently using is very much uh, for example outcomes focused where we we try to ship continuously and we split the work into quarterly uh chunks. so what we try to do before we start a quarter of work is really focus on the outcome that the work should have. Uh, when we're done with it and that outcome can be described in user outcomes or business outcomes like what we want to accomplish and then we will try to follow a process where we don't lock into any solutions um, specifically in the beginning but really kind of like look for solutions within this set of constraints and within the budget right like we have a budget of one quarter to spend on this on this that's the investment that we want to make in, the, in this feature Or in this set of features, Um, and and that requires kind of like a. And and sometimes it's hard. It requires a very open mindset that any solution could be possible to meet this outcome, which then is a collaborative process with the developers and the planners and the designers to, and 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 even the operations people to to come to that.
0: So, Dennis, Martin's been been telling us about. Uh, you know, design driven structures and, and processes that you know if you're in a in a, in a small technology company. And I think that's, that's one thing. But if you're in a large organization like like Bosch. How do you see that applying to your context. What, what, what gets in the way or enables good design process or, or good uh, innovation uh, activity.
4: Yeah, I think the one one piece you mentioned already, there's there's for sure a lot of administrational steps that we potentially need to take, especially if it comes then at a certain point in time to to funding of those ideas or getting those ideas kind of further along. Um but I want to copy on what Tatjana said in the beginning. For me it's kind of very important, and that's what we figured very early on as we develop those core elements for our innovation culture, that um you you live you need to live those um with kind of the instruments behind that so in the beginning as we had our internal innovation program started we did not have the clear gates on how you really drive from the initial idea to kind of getting really funding or not funding so expectation levels were not set clearly and that was i would say that was was potentially providing kind of some frustration with the associates that were thinking okay i have now an idea and I'm driving it through and it will happen. Um, and we are, meanwhile, much better in terms of set expectations very clear in the beginning to say, okay, this is there's a certain learning experience for everyone going with us on this journey of, an, of our innovation program, and there will be only a few ideas after a certain selection process that we make very transparent that actually goes through and, and will be further developed to potentially being commercialized at a certain point in time. And I think those metrics make it as well very measurable because you can see how many ideas you get per round. And if you're getting more ideas and probably more better quality ideas as well, you see that um, that innovation culture is starting to develop. Yeah? So we are running this program now for a few years. And if you're looking at the quality and the number of ideas we had in the first year compared to what we had in the last round, you clearly see um, in both elements, quality of the idea as well as number of ideas, you see a clear development and um, what we need to fight on the other hand is yes we need those metrics and we need those things to measure but we need to fight that innovation is measured like with the standard kpis that we measure our normal business um because i think that's um, if you do that um, too harsh and you're asking for return on investment immediately and and some other metrics that we use for our normal business you potentially um destroy kind of the idea already in a very early stage <laughs> these kind of metrics do not do something where to really drive um the culture as well as the ideas forward so i'm, I'm
0: curious because we've been talking about sort of in the context of
4: generating new ideas or generating
0: um, new services sort of on the front end of the innovation cycle. I, I'm curious from any of you who have had experience in, in a large organization, perhaps we can start with Tatiana, how does this apply outside of the sort of front end and you know downstream into operations and accounting and finance or whoever marketing uh, any of these folks who are um, not necessarily generating new things all the time.
1: So the, the first thing is that, of course, all of those functions are generating new things all the time, right? HR is generating um, and talking about how to best do performance reviews. How do we best, you know, recruit people? So each one of these functions and marketing, right, is coming up with new ad campaigns, new events, right, to bring people in and introduce customers to the, to the product. So each one of these functions is constantly right? Being asked to generate new things. Now, the question is, how are those things managed? And I, and I want to riff on something that Dennis said in very large organizations, which is, you know, I've had a lot of experience um, with managers who have perhaps, you know, hired IDEO or called me as a leader um, at IDEO and said, you know, we really want to try to do innovation, you know, in a bottoms-up way within our organization. And we're part of a large, multinational, you know, multibillion-dollar company. And after doing this work for, you know, now over 10 years, I have to say, don't waste your time. Innovation in these large companies has to be sponsored by the CEO and the board of directors, has to have a board member, or at least one, that is sponsoring the innovation. Because the ways in which, again, people are incentivized, incentive structures are top-down. Communication structures in our hierarchical organizations are top-down. They are not bottom-up. And our innovation strategy needs to come from people who are actually making investment decisions and who understand what the long-term health of the company looks like and how to make those moves. So for example, you know, when, um, you know, I led the Life Technologies transformation um, with the CEO, Greg Lucier, who wanted to make Life Technologies a multi-billion dollar biotech company that is global, uh, more innovative. And working with him directly and coaching him on how to ask questions of innovation teams, I would say was the most effective thing in actually changing the culture to one of a culture of innovation. So for example, he and his managers would all come in and there would be a team and they would present their idea and as, you know, managers who, have, who know how to manage and who have been managing for decades, they would immediately ask the question for a new idea, what's the ROI on this going to be? And that would shut down the conversation because they don't even know, right, really what the idea is. Right. So we gave him a toolkit, right. We gave the CEO a toolkit of how to engage with his teams around these innovation projects. So instead of asking what's the ROI going to be, we gave him questions like how many customers have you talked to, how many ideas did you generate, what kinds of ideas did you throw away that you initially thought would be really great ones. Right, so those are the types of questions that you as an executive need to learn in order to really build a culture of innovation from the top down, which is really how it happens.
0: Dan, any reflections on that?
2: Well, if you're specifically talking about large company innovation, um, I only have stories of frustration. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, would, I would just add to that, um, that there is there is a process. There are metrics. What the question Satyana was throwing out, and we're we're trying to apply them in our little startup, where you are you are measuring, you know, uh, how your your data, how many experiments have you run, um, as opposed to, you know, how many how much revenue did that bring in, and it's a, it's a very fundamental shift to again, of values, if I have an hour in the meeting, I'm not spending 45 minutes on the status report, I'm spending 45 minutes on hearing learnings from experiments in the field, in the team meeting, it's, you know, in a very concrete way. So it's a shift of emphasis, uh, and in that way, innovation is very concrete.
0: I'm curious, um, Dennis, I don't know how, how you've experienced this from within Bosch. As a consultant on the outside, one thing that, that we found um it may be different Tatiana for you at IDEO but that culture is a hard sell that um you know we we do a lot of projects that are that are based around building innovation capability through um projects that are product or service development or product or service design oriented and when we've had conversations around culture um which you know obviously there's interest there but they tend to get trumped by Other burning issues, they tend to get sort of kicked down the road. It's like, you know, we don't have time to to, to work on culture right now because we have fires to put out and you know um, uh, Other other um, goals, other targets to hit that that aren't accounted for within this domain. Dennis, how how do you find you've been able or have you been able to sort of maintain a priority around culture and maintain people's attention uh, on
4: that and build projects around it um yeah i would say this is as well something that develops over the time so and it does not work all the time it's definitely um so that there there is operational day-to-day business which um needs to go on and sometimes will get higher priority than our innovation project um that we are working on which is probably focusing around um culture and this is definitely happening and we see that as well where we drive ideas from associates um, where they probably need to work on their idea and we then see now there's an operational issue that they need to take care of and um, they will be pulled away and, and need to take care of that so that is still happening and is something i would say um, yeah it's, it's probably normal um, but what i can see over the last few years is that we had some good successes in focusing on developing that innovation culture and setting up those projects differently. So not coming from a from a product focus, but really coming from that more customer centric focus, really trying to turn it around, um, developing together from an ideation session around a certain topic um, and going through kind of developing um, that, that mindset together. Um, We saw some really good successes in different areas of the organization that this is getting more and more, um, I would say, relevant and as well um, used throughout the organization. And this um, you can see in in different areas of organizations, so not only in in our area for the IT, but as well in other areas. So I would say, yes, in in general, we still have the problem that um, for sure there's there's operational things that at a certain point definitely get priority. but the understanding that we um, that Tatjana mentioned in the very beginning of her introduction—that technology is not the problem, but culture is the problem—I think this is very well understood with big corporations as well, and um, we all work on that. Um, and but it is um, a thing that takes time. It is not something that you can turn around quickly um, from one week to the other. So okay. I think we are we are coming there, we are going there, time after time. And which every with every round we are taking um, we are getting closer to to really understand what are the elements um, that we really need to focus on and that we need to develop further and we're really trying to get trainings as well in um, to build that culture as well in the leadership team as so not Not only on the associate level, not only on top management level, but as well in the middle management, so that we really have everybody kind of on the same page. Because especially on the uh, middle management, I think we um, we need to develop that understanding as well that this is something that needs support and mentoring and coaching as well from that level.
1: Can I can I can I add something here on the idea side? So the way that IDEO that we transitioned, right, our practice and developed the organizational design practices, we went to our clients that we had done a lot of work for, right, in terms of large, you know, product design or, or service design projects that hadn't really landed in the market, right, or that they weren't able to sort of, you know, really bring to market or operationalize in the way that, um, that we had all been excited about in the project itself. And, that, that question of, okay, so we've had lots of great ideas. We've had, we designed great products together. We've designed great services together. So what happened? Well, What happened is that you have a culture that killed those ideas, right? You had, you know, a capital allocation system, a mechanism for prioritizing resources that killed that idea. You had an incentive structure that killed the idea. You had managers at the top level with skill sets right that were completely antithetical to the type of idea that we were trying to launch so after several times right of clients experiencing this right that's when you can have the conversation with the ceo about hey why do you think this happened and should we take on another product or service design project without addressing the culture issue, because we really want to get this thing to market, and we really want it to be successful. The other thing that's really helpful is uh, when large organizations, especially when they see that they're going to be disrupted potentially, make acquisitions, and they do the same thing, right? They acquire this awesome technology, they, it comes with an aqua hire so they get the whole team, and then the product just kind of fizzles out disappears and all the people leave hmm. when, when that happens a couple of times that's when you can have the conversation and again this is why I say this is when the board you need at least one board director to be backing that conversation as well so that when the CEO comes in and says this is how we're going to allocate capital for the next you know three years um, in order to transform our company into a more innovative uh, company this is where the money is going to be going, you know, on the balance sheets and, you know, in the audit committees, um, you know, that, they, that the board understands why that's happening and, the, and that they're actually supporting it as opposed to trying to undermine it in the boardroom.
3: Can, can I chime in? Um, I, I think to the IDO scenario, I mean, culture is probably one part. I think the other thing is just the inherent complexity with consultants working at a company and, and what you create is, um, you know, like a not invented here scenario or and consultants not totally understanding the complexity of, of that business. And when I was doing that type of work, uh, there's like rule of thumb that if you stop the project, let's say it's a project for a year and you stop it, and for every month that goes by, like 10% of the thing will change. And after a year, the whole, the whole idea would have shifted completely from what, what the original kind of like intent of the, of of the project would be because there's so much going on with the company. So like, uh, yeah, consultants and innovation, I think there there's some, there's some, it's it's hard to um, keep those ideas alive, I think, in a company besides like, besides just the, the, the cultural part. Like you want those ideas to be generated within the company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm curious to drill in on, on one particular aspect um, that's been mentioned is the sort of the structural aspect um, in terms of how teams are organized. There was a question from, from Jenny out in the audience. She asked, what role does self-management play in innovative teams? And I, I'm just curious, you know, how, what is the role of how teams, how people are organized in relationship to each other, how decisions get made, uh, et cetera. And, and have any of you been experimenting with, with new ways of organizing and making decisions that have helped with enabling innovation? Anyone, please jump yeah, in. I,
2: I certainly have, uh, you know, I've gone from a thousand people to 10, so it makes it a lot easier in a startup, but I still think that a team is the basic molecule of innovation, right? Certainly you need the culture to, uh, nourish the innovation once it's out there. But I think that that getting teams right and getting that team dynamic right is where you really produce great action, great ideas, great, great implementations. And so I I think a lot of folks on, on this call have had some experience with working out loud circles and with other ways of structuring that team time and very deliberately going deep uh, to create that openness and vulnerability and free flow of ideas and also obstacles. So being very intentional about how you do that, um, making people feel the psychological safety so that they're part of a team, equal sharing uh, does that. That was Google's number one conclusion from their Aristotle project, studying their teams. So that turn taking um, and equal sharing uh, and, and then also balancing it with performance pressure I mean, it can't just be, uh, you know, pure sharing. You, you, you need to have results. You need the frame around the picture. Um, and so, you know, Amy Edmondson has this model that I love where you see the balance between psychological safety and, and performance pressure. And I think it, w- with, with teams, my obsession is getting that, that right. Um, making that team time magical, uh, and connected and, uh, still productive um but that that's where i think you can hit that sweet zone of 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 creativity where teams do their best their best work
0: anyone else want to comment on decision making structures and and how people can be empowered
1: so you know as an executive of both salesforce and aws um working on you know soft both working on you know cloud-based software products so you know, in terms of the domain, it was very similar, but the cultures of the organization are very different. And there's a very explicit, and and they both have very explicit processes and mechanisms for decision-making and for team structure, right? Amazon famously has the two pizza team structure, right? Where teams are uh, kind of structured in these smaller teams in order to be able to make autonomous decisions. And Salesforce has, you know, on the product side, um, on the product and engineering side, you know, uh, a a very uh, mindful approach to bringing people together and aligning the product strategies and aligning the development, right? So almost the exact opposite in many ways, right? And so seeing those two things work, but that are still able to generate, you know, great innovation. um, Again, it doesn't there is no recipe, right, for innovation. It's more about the alignment of how your prin- of your principles, right? And um, and at Salesforce, one of those principles is high alignment, right, throughout the organization, right? The V2MOM process is all about alignment. The, you know, what we used to call two RRs, you know, uh, two roadmap reviews, right, on the product side, you know, at Salesforce are, are mechanisms, right, to create alignment, but those mechanisms Uh, ostensibly take some decision making out of these autonomous teams these smaller teams but they actually create frameworks so that everybody knows what their role is and how to engage in the decision making process Um, and so i don't think there's a recipe there i think it could be lots of different things Um, but you need to have to be really really conscious about how you're structuring your culture you know, how you're bringing together moments of innovation, how you're empowering people, where they're empowered, right, to bring in new ideas and to get those ideas forward. Um, And so I do think that, you know, there's uh, a lot of different models to choose from, but you need to figure out what's right for your organization and and design it like actually actually consciously design it and not just do something because you read it about you read about it you know at hbr or somebody at google said this or you know um so that's the most important thing
0: Dennis uh, just before we invite a couple of our participants um on to ask a couple questions Tatiana was mentioning that you know you absolutely have to have this kind of top-down Uh, sponsorship and 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 really strong support for for these kinds of changes you as far as I understand you've been involved in this um, working out loud initiative maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and to the extent to which a sort of a grassroots activation helped nudge the culture
4: in that in that initiative Um, yeah I would say this this was an uh, an interesting way of of figuring that out for wash so it is it was really a pure grassroots initiative from a few associates that that really got to know about um working out loud as a method to to kind of structure a network working approach um together with john stepper um and i think back in 2015 we had our first working out loud conference um in, in stuttgart um i was taking part in that and at that point in time it was completely grassroots, it was organized by a few associates and we got people together in the first year, we had I don't know 50 or 60 circle, meanwhile we have a several hundred circles um, already done and at a certain point in time there was clearly the point where the management figured out that there is more about this than just a grassroots topic that is developing from from bottom up. Um, So management got more and more interested in that. We got more and more executives that were participating in circles. And finally, we got our um, HR director on the board um, being our mentor and sponsor of that. And for sure, this helps now to make out of this grassroots initiative something that is bigger than it and, and faster, probably bigger than it would have become if it would continue as pure grassroots initiative. So we are now doing some guided programs as well. And with the support of our um, board member as a sponsor and mentor for that program, for sure, um, the acceptance level, especially from those that probably would be more critical about doing those things um, is less because now it has kind of an official management approval um, that this is something that is allowed in Bosch, whereas before as it was more grassroots, it was something where if your supervisor was not really cool with it, um, you potentially would say, yeah, then I better not participate. Right now with support member as a sponsor, it's it's much easier to get those things going. Um, Therefore, I would say you can do it bottom up, um, but timing needs to be right. Um, the the chance of failure is probably much bigger than if you, from the very beginning, have top management support in those kind of things. Um, actually, what we learned now with this grassroots um, group is if the timing is right and if there is a method that a lot of people believe in, you, you can really make this work and, and get even um, in bigger corporations a good um, way of... Of implementing that. And um, yeah, it is something that that really is going across all regions across all hierarchy levels currently at Bosch and has already been before even um, we got the top management support. So it it was already in all regions and all hierarchy levels. um, Present at a point um, when we did not have that support. Great. So we're
0: gonna we're gonna bring in uh, Chelsea and Andy and Dennis as those as they're being brought into the to the conversation here. Can you just tell folks watching where can they get more information on the um, uh, working out loud approach?
4: Um, there there is publicly available. I think um, a lot if if you just if you just Google it and um, if they are interested in getting more information about how we approach it in a certain point, um, then they can definitely get in contact with me. There's already the the webpage www.workingoutloud.com. This is um, where it's more kind of the generic approach of the program and everything. Um, But if they want to know more about how we approached it and what we are doing on top together with John Stepper right now. Um, it's definitely something um where um our team is is open to exchange. We do a lot um with other companies. We had a bar camp in Germany just recently with with a lot of companies um, invited to that to to get the word out um, to other companies and even have cross company collaboration groups now that are working together on working cross company working out loud groups. So um, we, are, we are trying to get um, this and on a broader scale as well. So we are happy to share that information as well okay. on top of the standard information.
0: Beautiful and there's more links in the chat here uh, and we'll also make sure we put more links in the etherpad document as well. Chelsea. Please uh, welcome aboard and and please introduce yourself and uh, shoot away with your question.
5: Great, thank you. Hi everyone, my name's Chelsea. Um, This has been a really great session. Thank you to all the panelists for being here. Um, So my question is kind of around innovation being a very popular buzzword at the moment. A lot of companies are striving for it and a lot of them will reach it. Um, And so if you kind of follow this to the logical conclusion, innovation becomes a new norm. I'm wondering what will set those companies apart that are still at the forefront. Is it kind of an innovation and type of situation or where do you guys see this going in the you know in the next few years?
0: Please jump in anyone.
1: So, one thing to remember is that all companies by definition were at one point innovative, right? No company Emerges without initially having a great new idea a great new concept right and be able being able to meet a market need with that with that concept so um, But what actually So innovation is one piece of it and I think the other cultural part of it um, is something that I'm thinking a lot about so You know uber and enron highly innovative cultures Right, especially you know when the, when investors were extremely excited about those companies. Enron was the most innovative company for six years in a row in the late 1990s. Um, so it's of course innovation and right. It's innovation, not just having the great ideas and bringing new great market ideas, um, you know, to the world, but also being able to really understand what is the value, what is the long term value that we're bu- building. How is our culture? right actually um interacting in order to you know to bring those ideas forth in a socially responsible right and um and market responsible way and it's all of those things coming together that will create long term success for companies so it's definitely innovation in and i think that's where it's really going it's it's less about the conversation about innovation and more about the conversation about culture writ large and what kind of culture are companies building right, in order to ensure long-term success? And, right, how do we actually take that and understand what the configurations are of the world in terms of social and environmental dynamics as well?
0: Beautiful. Anyone have anything else to add to that?
3: Um, I thought, like, to me, the, um, the tension that happens between the people that can implement and the teams that come up with Innovative ideas. Like to me, it feels like people that can figure that out well are kind of set up in a in an environment where innovation is the norm. Better, Uh, especially because there's this paradox between, you know, people that are great at implementing, like they want to not be distracted with things that that prevent them from meeting a deadline, where they are very much needed to come up with the best ideas, and uh 80 of the time that you spend is probably implementing like getting stuff done and 20 percent is you know trying to kind of like be dealing with more ambiguity so people that can like merits or companies that can figure that out how that like handoff works that you don't have like a team 100 percent focused on innovation and never implementing anything but you know and, and implementers never never being part of the the, the innovation process i think that they're more set up for success going forward Great. Yeah. And I love
0: Tatiana, just to, to the, the, there's this notion that, that there'll be more expansive um, conversation around, you know, just from the, just about innovation and ideas into the values contribution to society. Um, the extent to which the company is kind of tuned into what's going on in the world, what the need is in the world. And so if you're producing great products and services, but cooking the books, you know, um, how does the market, uh, or, or who if it's not the market, um, indicates that that's, you know, not the kind of company we want in our in our world. Um, well, the great news
1: is, yeah, oh, sorry, I just wanted to ahead. add the great news is investors are really starting to talk about this now. So, you know, yeah. Larry, you know, uh, of BlackRock, right, BlackRock is now going to be uh, asking the questions of social Uh, responsibility in corporate culture at every single one of their meetings with their boards of directors right so this is this is happening right and it's not just about innovation in terms of not being disrupted right it's about innovation for what to what purpose right and that purpose is for long-term sustainability and long-term value for the planet and the human race
0: love it Andy want to give you a chance to, to ask your question please introduce yourself and jump right in
6: Okay, so thanks, Greg, um, thanks everybody. It's been really interesting. Um, so my background is uh, principally banking and principally investment banking, actually, over many years. Um, and it's an industry where both investment and retail are talking a lot about innovation at the moment. It actually isn't a new thing. So I was heavily involved in the eighties in, in product innovation in in certainly in investment banking. Um, But I guess my question, and I might disagree slightly with you, Tatiana, around the level of collaboration. So investment banking, I think, is often seen by people as inhabited by alpha males. Uh, All the innovation that I saw, and I've seen it also, I've I've observed other areas, and particularly architecture and built design, actually, that even when you have dominant individuals, uh, behind that dominant individual, there is a massive collaboration. Um, And... uh, one of the things that leads to is actually how do you incentivize people? So, uh, I was involved in a conversation with the digital arm of a bank uh, about two weeks ago, and they had been having this very conversation. So, appraisals are, t- are principally built around the individual. Okay, so you might be given objectives okay. around how you collaborate, but they're principally about the individual, not the outcome of a team. Interestingly, when I, I ran our global trading team, we actually rewarded people principally on the performance of the team. Actually, um, on, you know, on the basis that, although they had individual appraisals, the actual bonus, that the principal amount of it was based upon the performance of the team. So, you know, there was a, a, a big question. So I'd be interested to know, I mean, I have a whole sort of other questions, but that, I'm just interested to know what, uh, you know, if anybody's seen anybody looking at that in, in any, any different ways in, in, in the context of innovation and agility, which clearly are enormous themes for the corporate world at the moment.
0: Anyone take a shot, please.
1: Uh, I mean, I can, I can chime in. Um, so yes, in fact, um, at IDEO we worked on a project with a, a a large company that really wanted to, uh, maintain a primary approach of individual-based performance reviews, but wanted to bring in this idea and this concept of people, you know, collaborating with each other more and helping to solve each other's problems. This was actually in the context of uh, large service call centers, right? Where the incentive is to, you know, drop the phone and move on to the next problem and to not pick up anybody else's problem. And so what we did is we created a system of, you know not just how you were meeting your metrics but assists right and so you know in in basketball you have this kind of thing where not only the person who actually makes the point uh, gets you know gets uh, accolades right but the person who had the assist So the system of assists, right, really, really, uh, it it transformed, right, the call center. It really transformed the idea of people walking over to others, right, when there's a particularly difficult call that was happening and actually helping to assist them, right, because they, because then they, they, you know, the person who actually solved or closed the case, right, would actually log the assist, right, they log, you know, like, oh, you know um you know Dennis uh, you know gave me the assist to help this right and then the performance actually came in not just how many things did you individually do but how many assists you had so there's a bunch of this kind of stuff that's happening in terms of bringing this hybrid approach i do want to address your one point about um collaboration though i also worked uh in uh actually investment management uh for a couple of uh a couple of summers um as an intern and um I want to differentiate between collaboration and coordination. Highly coordinated processes, right? Apple is a highly coordinated processes uh, uh, system, right? Especially under Steve Jobs. Everyone coordinated to carry out his orders, right? Um, The military is a highly coordinated culture, but is not highly collaborative, right? Decisions are made, right? Through top-down and very hierarchical approaches, and everybody knows what everybody else's status position is, and status position maps to authority and decision making, and everybody else is highly coordinated to carry out those orders. So, I just want to make sure that we're not confusing collaboration with coordination. Um, you know, when we talk about people working together. So
0: I'm yeah. just. I'm- just going to jump in, Andy, because we're, sorry, we're, we're up against the clock here. Um, uh, I know some of our viewers are going to need to jump off. So just if we're going to go f- about five minutes past the hour uh, in, our, in our core panel here, and then we'll, we'll sort of drift on for about 10 minutes after that if any, any viewers want to keep watching us banter um, and throw questions in uh, a, a little bit beyond that. So just to kind of close, and I actually want to invite both uh, Chelsea and Andy to participate as well. Uh, if they like. If you could build a company from scratch, and I know that uh, some of you, uh, Dan had to drop off, but but Martine and, and perhaps um, others on, on the panel have done this. If you could build a company from scratch, what is one thing you would do to ensure that you are going to enable a culture of innovation? So please uh, offer a response in a sentence or two, and we'll just we'll kind of go around. Uh, Martine, start with you.
3: Sure. Um, I, I think the main thing is agreement on what success looks like after each project, and if you if that is not prescribing something, then
0: I think we lost Martin's connection. Dennis. Against
3: those requirements.
0: Sorry, Martin, we lost you uh, for a moment, your connection,
4: but we'll, we'll jump to Dennis. What is one thing you would right. do to ensure you could... Um, I, I would uh, see that in the team, in the initial team, I have a uh, diversity of different personality types. Um, that goes back to what Satya said, or what I think Martin said in the beginning, is that you need to have a part in your team that is good in execution and you need to have uh, those creative um, people on the other side. So you need to have a good mix of people that can actually go from the very beginning of that um, innovation process in terms of ideation, coming up with great ideas, but you need to carry it on to the end, which means you need to commercialize it and you need to get it um, to the market. And I think therefore it's important that you have that diversity in your team from a personality type, um, not so much diversity, probably now from the classical diversity and inclusion topics. This is for sure important as well. But for me, um, learning how those different personality types work together and build a team that has all of that would be important to me. Chelsea.
5: Dennis stole mine, but I can think of another one. Um, I've been really interested in uh, role crafting, so I think I would set up structure that allows for constant redefinition and reimagination of people's um, roles that they hold on the team, and maybe just reimagining the employee employment, employee-employer relationship altogether.
0: Beautiful, Andy. So I think a, a,
6: a couple of things: slight slant on Martin's. Uh, point and that is to be clear on the purpose of what you're trying to do and actually encouraging people to Contribute and be open about how they feel and where they want to go with that So, you know, there, you know, there may be a vision, but how does it, you know, how does it get manifested? There will be lots of potentially different views uh, and by getting people to together I think, I think getting people together is, is critical
0: yeah, alignment on purpose. Uh, Tatiana.
1: So I'm gonna steal something uh, from Amazon, which you know Jeff Bezos has talked about very publicly, so uh, which is customer obsession. So Amazon's leadership principles, there are 14 of them, and the most important one is customer obsession. As an as executive, um, that working backwards process of always starting every conversation with a focus on the customer, and a, a very clear narrative about framing whatever conversation you're going to have in terms of the value that we're building for the customer and if you start every meeting and every conversation and every new idea with that i think that is really the thing that you know helped my team you know continually drive to better and better ideas is that customer obsessions
0: absolutely and, and i think i'll, I'll add another layer uh, to the mix which is enabling people to make decisions because there's nothing that for me that kind of shuts down uh, uh, a culture in which people feel like they can contribute actively and creatively than people feeling like they can't actually contribute in a meaningful way. So opening that up for people by giving them the space to own something, really own it, make decisions and having proper structures for advice and for feedback and and, um, uh, and also clarity of who, who decides what. So there's definitely emerging structures coming out that, that are, are uh, enabling that kind of a thing. So I wanted to thank, in a moment, we're gonna close the, uh, the recording here. I wanted to thank all of our panelists, um, Tatiana, Martine, Dennis, Dan, uh, as well as Katerina, who unfortunately couldn't connect. I think she's out there listening. Um, also Chelsea and Andy. Uh, thank you all and thank you for everyone out there listening.